anybody else crying but me? So, <clears throat> wow. The Lord is in this place. You know, <clears throat> when we gather, he was already in this place. But when his people gather with him in this place in us, and we all begin to acknowledge that through our worship and recognizing him, his presence becomes even more clear to us. Amen? And he is here in, with great clarity and power this morning. So we've just finished up our, our series, Spiritual Adulting, and uh, God worked in that powerfully. And, uh, you know, as always is the case, we finish the series, and, and, you know, many are like, oh, man, I don't know if I'm ready to move on yet. I, I get it. But new series provide us new on-ramps and um, new understanding of God's ways. And I, I heard so many great testimonies of people in their church that, that God worked in their lives through that series. And I got a card in the mail this week from, um, from a couple who watch online. And it was written by the wife. And she's adding to what we had said several weeks back about uh, the number of people that God has been working in, and um, I was one of the weeks I was noting, especially men, that God was working in. And so she writes and says, "You can add another man that has been changed by your spiritual adulting series. Thank you for continuing your Sunday YouTube church has come to my living room, and God is working. Thank you, and may God continue to bless Vertical Church." So uh, a good word, you know, for us here and for those that are watching online, blessings to all of them as well. So we begin a new series today, a new journey. This is part of what God does. He teaches us and then he moves us from grace to grace. He unfolds new truths and he calls us to walk in that process and mature along the way. And so I'm praying for this series, as you've already heard this morning, that God will help us see him in some of the areas of our life that have yet to be resolved. We all have those, right? Areas where we are still praying for the answer to come, for the tension to be resolved, for the unknown to be known. We all have those. And what's challenging sometimes is we don't, we don't always know where God is in those unresolved moments, and so we tend to close it off like a, you know, stuff in a closet we don't want anyone to see. And God says, I'm not through. Just because you can't see the answer yet doesn't mean I'm finished with it. So, as Caleb said, we're going to visit some of those areas with him and see what he does because he is the God who not just redeems but restores all things. Amen? So uh, here's, a, here's a, a truth I want us to take in today. And if you want to take pictures of the screen as your way of taking notes this morning, you're more than welcome to do that. I encourage that. Here's the big truth I want us to walk away with this morning. That God restores by always giving more to you of what was lost or taken from you. It's true. He does that. Those things in your life that you would consider lost or stolen from you, God sees, God knows, and he will restore what 
what specifically was lost or taken from you. He will do it in knowing his son first. He may do it in our lifetime, but he will do it for sure in eternity. This is the way he works for us to experience restoration in Christ, begin the process and see it begin to happen in this life and for sure experience it in eternity with him. We know this because of truth from scripture. I didn't just make this point up. I didn't just come up with it and say, this will be clever. This is a truth from scripture and we'll begin today with a very well-known passage from Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight, toward the end of the chapter says this, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called, the called, as it says, according to his purpose. We know, we rest our faith on this. We find confidence in this, that God is at work, working all things, the good, the unanswered, the unresolved, the painful, he is using them for good to us who believe in him. Amen? There is no thing in your life that he is not aware of and not going to use for good and for his glory. He will do that. This is where we find our hope and our confidence. He has a purpose in that. He is the perfect orchestra score writer and conductor. He knows which parts go where in the score. He knows when they're to be played. He knows the song. He's the perfect engineer and architect. He knows every element of the building and how it's to be built. He is the perfect puzzle crafter and assembler. Amen? The passage goes on. It says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be firstborn among many brethren. Can you believe this? That God would take us as sinners who said, no, thank you. I won't have any of you. I'll do my own thing. And he says, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to send my son to redeem your life and then restore your life. And I'm going to do something bigger than what you lost in your sin. I'm going to do something greater than what you lost in your rebellion against me. I'm going to conform you to the very image of my son, Jesus, so that you will not just look like him, but you will receive every blessing that he has and is. Amen? Come on now. This is what he does. This is how God restores. He always restores in greater quality and quantity than what was lost to begin with. This is what he does. This is how restoration happens. The passage goes on. It says, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. God is going to redeem, justify, and glorify us in himself. 
you and I get to walk in and experience the full glory of God and not because we earned it or deserved it, but because he, by his mercy and grace, gave it to be received by faith. So the Bible tells us this story and principle of restoration. It's throughout from beginning to end. And one of the places that we see it very um, clearly, tangibly, is in the law in the Old Testament. There, God writes into the law in this old covenant. He writes and gives pictures of the salvation that would come in Jesus. So when you look at the law, you can see all of the wonders of who Jesus is. Jesus describes that, of course, in the New Testament. After he was resurrected, He's walking on the road one day with two men who are walking and, and they're bemoaning the fact that Jesus has been crucified and they're trying to walk through all of this and Jesus appears to them and it says he began to talk to them about all the things from Moses from the past. Jesus himself was telling them about himself in the law. And so today I want to show you some snapshots from the law in the Old Testament that help us see this principle of restoration. So the book of Numbers chapter 5, we start today. And there was a law written there that said, when a man or woman commits any sin that men commit in unfaithfulness against the Lord, and that person is guilty, then he shall confess the sin which he has committed. This is how you found release from your guilt. This is how you found restoration to God. It begins with making things right with God by confessing your sin that you committed specifically, not just in general, but specifically that sin which you committed. But it goes on and it says, and he shall make restitution for his trespass in full plus one fifth of it and give it to the one he has wronged. Interesting. So if Nick came to me and he took $100 from me, stole it, now Nick wouldn't do that. But if he did, if he stole $100 from me and he was found out, got caught, and he wanted to make things right, he would have to bring an offering to the Lord first under the old covenant, under this law, and then he would have to make restitution to me he would need to come and give me the $100, but not just the $100. He would have to add a fifth to it, 20%. So he'd have to give me $120. I would come out ahead on the deal, but I'd gone through some pain in the deal too, right? But this is the way, this is a principle of restoration. God always gives more than what was lost to begin with. Now, Believe it or not, this principle shows up in other places in the Old Testament. This one was just 120%, just one-fifth added to it. But if you look in Exodus chapter 22, you find this principle, again, a little differently, but with very specific application to it. Here it says in verse 1, if a man steals an ox, we just get real specific with it here, or a sheep, and slaughters it or sells it. So we'll use Nick again here for just a moment. 
Nick steals a sheep from me and he sells it so that it's gone. Or he slaughters it and it's gone. Either one of those. It says in the verse, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. There's a bigger restoration here because the loss was greater. Okay? So let me just illustrate this. Let me have Nick come up here. We're going to flip the script on Nick. We're going to let Nick, Nick be the owner this time. So Nick's going to stand right over here. He's going to be an owner. And just so we can understand what's happening here, Nick has a sheep. All right? Good sheep owner. Now, um, let me have Jeff Hatton come up here. And Jeff's going to stand on this side of the stage. And Jeff, I'm sure you probably have guessed by now, you're the thief. <laughs> hey, but God restores wicked people, right? Right? Just hold on. This, the story's not over yet. A thief today is not a thief tomorrow in God's eyes, right? All right. Man, it's like preaching. Okay, so, uh, so Jeff sees Nick with his sheep and says, dude, I got to get a sheep. I, in fact, I'm going to go take his sheep. Come on, Jeff, you can do it. Do what you need to do. Don't, oh, wow. Okay, good. There's a lot worse things you could have done. I'm glad that was all you did. So, <laughs> so now Nick is sheepless and Jeff is sheepful. He's got a sheep. Now, according to the law, if Jeff gets caught and now we got it. We're going to fill out this story here. Let me have Truett come up here and stand in the middle because we need a priest. We've got to get a priest involved in this situation. This thing is getting out of hand. So uh, Jeff gets caught. His Connie tells on him. And <laughs> she has a conscience. He doesn't. So uh, no, I'm, te I'm teasing. And so now Jeff says, I did wrong. Uh, I, sh I really need to uh, make things right. So to do that, remember, he has to make things right with God first. And so Jeff needs to go offer an offering to the priest. So take your sheep to the priest, and there the sheep is an offering. But remember what the law says. Jeff has made things right with God, but now he's got to make things right with Nick. Jeff needs to pay Nick for sheep. And it looks like Jeff doesn't have any sheep right now. That's a problem. You see, in the law, if Jeff didn't have anything to pay Nick with, we would go and take everything that Jeff has and sell it so that we could restore to Nick what he lost for sheep, for his one sheep. This is the way restoration worked. And if even selling what he had wasn't enough, the law said, that Jeff would then be sold into slavery. He would have to live the rest of his life working off what he did to repay Nick. Now, let's just say that for some reason, Jeff was really a, a sheep owner. He had lots of sheep. And so, it just so happens we have some more sheep here. Yeah, here you go. Here's four sheep. So now he's going to take his four sheep and go pay Nick out of the deal because Nick is going to be a gainer of some sheep. Wow. 
Nice. What a deal. Way to go. Good job, Jeff. Yeah, didn't you good? Yeah. This is the way it works. Remember, who had the offense against them? Nick. Nick lost a sheep, but the law said, make things right with God. Now make things right with Nick. And he now has four sheep because he lost the one. This is the principle and the power of restoration. God always restores more than what you lost. It was written into his law. It was his purpose and in his plan. Amen? All right, let's give these guys a hand. Good job, y'all. Leave your, y'all take your sheep. Y'all can have a seat. I'll, I'll, I'll need you again in, in a little while. So y'all don't go too far away. I didn't think you really were, but I don't go too far. This is the principle of, of restoration. Those who have been sinned against come away with more because God always restores what he sees has been lost. And this principle goes on in the Old Testament. In Proverbs 6, you have this stated again, and it says there, people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is starving. Yet, when he is found, he must restore sevenfold, seven times the amount. So back in our sheep story here, this was a four to one. We could have changed the numbers and it could have been that Nick had 10 sheep and Jeff stole 10 sheep from Nick. You know how many Jeff would then have to have repaid Nick with? 40. Change it. He has 100 sheep. He steals 100 sheep. He gets restored to him 400 sheep. This is God's principle in restoration. He always restores what was lost. He didn't say, you had sheep stolen, return it with kittens. He didn't say that. If you had sheep stolen, you return it with sheep. Amen? And then you return it more than what was stolen. This is God's purpose in restoration here in Proverbs. It says seven times the amount. Seven times. If, you stole, if someone stole and they ate, in other words, if someone ate what they took from you, it's obviously not there anymore. You can't get it back. And if that was the case, it was to be restored sevenfold. And this was a prevailing law that they operated by. It's why in the New Testament, Peter says to Jesus, if my brother sins against me, how many times do I have to forgive him? Seven times? You see, it was that same truth again. And of course, Jesus answered him in a way that Peter was shocked by. But the point is, restoration is always greater than the loss that we begin with. And it comes from God and he gives it in his time. So I want to say the, tr- the, the principle one more time. God restores by always giving more to you of what was lost or taken from you. I hope you're already making some applications and asking some questions in your heart and mind. That's a good thing. I hope you're already wrestling with these truths. I hope you're already wondering, well, what about this thing in my life that happened? It happened 20 years ago, and it was incredibly painful, and it hasn't been restored yet. I understand. 
you may be thinking, well, you don't know what's happened. You don't know how close to home this all hits. You don't know that it, this, this thing is in my home right now. And I, I believe God, but I'm not seeing it, and I don't see how in the world it could be. I hear you. I hurt with you. We all know what this is. But I want us to see that God has promised in his word and he will be faithful. That though you do not see it yet, he will restore, he always restores what has been lost or taken from you. Amen? The law was written so that we might see Jesus in it. It was filled with pictures and types that even in their day, they didn't quite fully grasp. But you and I live on the other side of the cross and the resurrection, and we have the fulfillment of all of those promises and all of that law. And so we know that this sacrificial lamb that had to be given for the trespass of the one we know that that lamb represents Jesus. We know that he is the one who came to restore all things. He is the one who came to take our sin. Romans chapter 5, we get to the New Testament and we find these words written. Therefore, just as through one man centered, sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. We fast forward the story. We bring it to today. You and I are this man. We are the ones who have taken from God. We are the ones who have said, God, I'll live my life by my own choosing. I will decide what is right. I will decide what is wrong. I will do what I want when I want. I don't need you telling me what to do. This is us. We are the ones born in sin. We are the ones who have shaken our fist at God. We are the ones who have said, we will do what we want to do. We are the ones who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the scripture says, the soul that sins shall die. That is the cost. That's what happens when you and I reject God. When you and I reject his ways, then the cost is death. This is what comes into our life. And all of us have walked down that path. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We are the sinner. God is the one who has been gracious. Let's bring our, uh, our actors back up on stage for just a moment here. No sheep this time. But stay in your same places. And let's bring it to some relevance here. This time, Nick represents God. Jeff represents us. We are the ones who have stolen and taken what God says is his. The glory, 
the leadership, the lordship in our life. We belong to him. We are the ones who said, no, give me that. I will choose what is important. I will chase my own desires, my own dreams. I'll find my pleasures where I want to. I will do what I want. I will not follow your word. I will not submit my heart and my knee to Jesus. I will not be part of your plans, God. And while we were doing that, God was loving us. God was broken for us because we were rejecting his plan and his ways for our life. And in this, we are empty-handed to be able to pay for what we've done because what is required for the sinner to make things right with God is a pure and holy, sinless offering. That lamb that had to be paid earlier to the priest had to be spotless, without guilt, without sin on marking on it. And the sin was placed upon that lamb who was given to the priest and the account cleared. But here, we have no way because for us to pay for our sin, it would require not just a, a righteous offering, but a righteous offering of such size and magnitude, four times, seven times the offense. How could we ever pay back this kind of a holy God? And this leaves us stuck in our debt, stuck in our sin, sold off as slaves to sin where that's all we can do is be a sin to, or be a slave to sin. That's all we can do. There's no peace from God. There's no hope with God because we have sinned against him. But Romans doesn't leave us in this desperate place. The next verse says, but God demonstrates his own love for us toward us. God sees and God knows. And God loves us in the midst of it. And he knows what the need is to free us. And this verse says, while we were sinners, while we were in the debt position, while we owed and could not pay, that Christ died for us. This is no longer the priest in our story. This is the Son of God. So let me bring you over here for just a moment. This is the Son of God who's with God the Father. And God the Father's grieved at us in our isolation, in our rejection, in our desperation, in our depression, in our fear. And he says, I don't want them to be alone. So he sends his Son and the son becomes the payment for this sin. The son comes and lives as the spotless lamb of God. John the Baptist would say, behold 
the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And he comes to be the payment for our sin so that we could be cleared of the debt, but also so that we could be restored. And so the son pays the debt for the sinner, you and I. And the son doesn't just pay enough. He doesn't just say, oh, it's 49.25. Okay, here's 49.25. No, the son overpays. The son gives himself, and he is holy, blameless, righteous, accepted from the father, filled with an inheritance from the father, fully justified, fully loved. He has a seat with the Father in heavenly places. And the Son has all that, and he pays for this with all of that. And then he returns to the Father with the gift, and the Father is satisfied. Yeah, Nick looks satisfied. It's good. And that has happened. That transaction has taken place. But look who's still over here. Because although it has happened, it hasn't been given because he hasn't received it. You're not saved just because this happened. You're saved when you believe in your heart this happened for you. And so Jeff, us, recognizes, God, I have sinned. I have fallen short of your glory. I have been the rebellious one. I have stolen what was yours. I have taken what was yours. I've tried to go my own way. And so Jeff bows his knee and receives all that the Father has for him in the Son. And the Father says, "Mm, now, you can come to me because this throne that I sit on is a throne of grace. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We're going to go. Come on. Yeah, Jeff already knew. He was ready. Come on. Yes. And so the sinner comes home and he is made accepted in the beloved. His debt is paid. All that he owed is taken care of. But you see, that's not all. Not only did he just, he didn't didn't just pay the debt. He didn't just get him back to zero. He didn't just flatline the account. No, Jesus overpays because that's what restoration does. Restoration always gives more than what was lost or taken to begin with. So now, those who believe, Jeff believing in what the Son has done because the Father sent him, Jeff gets all that the Son has. And though Jeff was seated in his isolation, now he's seated in heavenly places, amen? Though Jeff was dealing with guilt, now he has full forgiveness of all sin. Though Jeff was sitting in lots of question about his life, 
Over here, Jeff has all eternal purpose in his life. Over here, Jeff was wondering, what is going to happen to me? And the father says, I have you. You are now mine. And he blesses him with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Jeff has more than he could ever want because that's what the father and the son do. They restore more than was ever lost or taken from you. Amen? Give these guys a hand. Good job, y'all. Thank you. Yes. This is how God restores. And Romans continues to paint the picture for us because there in Romans it says in chapter 5, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. There it is. Where sin abounded, here in Jeff, grace abounded much more. And he would get restoration because he would put his faith in Christ. There's so much about this, this verse that is a wonder and a joy to me personally. But one of the things I love about it is the very first word, where. This is where it gets very, very personal this morning. As Caleb asked us to do earlier, you and I have places where we have sinned ourselves and we have fallen short. We have been the thief. We have been the rebellious one. And we have suffered loss. And for every one of us, there's some similarities, but for every one of us, there are some differences. For one person, the where is that they've dealt with rejection in their life. They felt the rejection of a, of a father. They felt the rejection of friends in school. They felt the rejection of, um, maybe it was even a, some people at church and they've dealt with rejection all their life. And where that sin abounds, oh, God rushes in to give more grace. And those who will receive that, they will experience an abundance of acceptance that's bigger than the rejection that they ever knew before. They will count it precious that the Father and the Son have accepted them in the Beloved. Amen? For some, the sin is that they have chased other avenues in search of peace in their heart and mind. They've searched after other pleasures. They've ran in some wrong crowds and they've run in some wrong things and they've pursued some things to fill their mind and distract their heart and forget about their issues and they've wallowed in that sin. But where sin abounds for those who will come to Jesus, grace abounds all the more. And for those who will be willing to do that, they are going to experience an abundance of what it means to be filled with the Spirit and not filled with some other spirits 
because God restores in abundance what has been lost by our sin. Amen? For those who have experienced great tension in their life, great conflict, and those who come to the Lord in that area, he is the one who restores what was lost. And he says, I'm going to give you peace. Peace like no one else knows. And you'll have an appreciation for it because he will restore more to you than what was ever taken or lost by you. Amen? And he does that. This morning you might be walking through a list in your head saying, I've got some broken areas in my life. My hopes and dreams have been broken. Things I wanted for my life have, by my doing and the doing of others has brought me to a place where I don't know. I just don't know anymore. For others you say it's, it is your peace, the sense of rest, the ability to put your head on your pillow at night and just rest. For some it's, it's your joy. It's been taken from you. You've yielded it or it's been stolen from you aggressively. For some, it's a career. It's a future. It's a plan you were invested in. It's been taken from you. It's been lost. For some, it's a marriage where things haven't turned out like you thought. For some, it's a child who's walking away from the Lord and doing everything they can to resist his plan. For some, it's their health. For some, it's their finances. For some, it's their very closeness with God. But I would remind us all this morning of this truth, that God restores by overwhelmingly giving you or giving more to you than what was lost or taken from you. This is what he does. And he says, when I begin this restoration, I'm going to do it first in your relationship with me, God says. I'm going to do this first with you in Christ. You're going to find your joy in me, and I will abundantly pour it out to you whether it's your joy, your peace, your purpose, your relationships, your closeness, your intimacy, whatever it is, God says, I'm going to restore that first with him. And then he'll begin a process of restoring what has been lost. And you might say, I want that. How do I get there? The last part of Romans we'll look at today is this, that this restoration comes to those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. They will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. We want to see some restoration happen in your life? 
I still have some areas. I'm praying for that. It begins, according to this verse, by receiving the abundance of grace. If you have in your heart this morning walked back to that place of pain, loss, right there, the Father and the Son meet you and say, we are here to pour out abundant grace. Will you receive that love, that purpose for your life, that peace with him? Will you see him giving you a seat in heaven for your seat of despair? Will you see him giving you acceptance for all your rejection? Will you see him giving you the hope of heaven for the loss of all your despair? Will you see him wrapping his arms around you and giving you the security of heaven for every one of your places of fear that you experience in your life? Will you receive that this morning first? This is where it begins. For those who will receive, receive it from the Father, the abundance, the overwhelming, the more than what you lost, the 120%, the 400%, the 700%, the untold number percent. Will you receive that into your life today? If you will, this is where we get to the place of reigning in life, he says here, where you get back standing, confident, bold, and seeing God restore all things. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? There is no thing in your life today, no matter how painful, grievous, lost or broken it may seem, there is no thing that God cannot restore. There is no thing that he cannot or will not. He waits for us to say, God, I open my hands and my heart to receive all of the healing, all of the redemption, and all of the restoration. Father, this morning, I thank you for speaking into the very real areas of our life. And I know it's your desire to heal what has been broken to bring beauty where there only seems to be ashes today, to bring hope where there seems to be no answers and so much that's unresolved. I thank you that you desire to not just meet us, but to walk with us and then to do greater and exceedingly and abundantly more than what we could ever ask or think. And so today... We trust you. We rest in you. And say, we're here to receive, Father, all you've done. 
our hearts are open to receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I appreciate your willingness to start the journey today. This is just the beginning. We've got two months of this to go. And there's so much more that God, I believe, has for us. And I can't wait to walk down the journey together. So um, we're also baptizing today. Always excited about that. And uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to be baptizing one a week. And many of these, as you're going to see, are children, uh, young children. And so I want to invite Dylan Boston to come stand with me this morning. Come on up, Dylan. Yeah. Come on, Dylan. Stand right here. Yeah, this is awesome. So uh, Dylan and his mom came to my office, and we talked several weeks back. And uh, we talked through this whole thing about what it means to follow Jesus and be baptized. And I was impressed at uh, the sincerity of Dylan and his desire to want to follow Jesus. They, they told me the story because I always ask, okay, so how did this come about? And uh, they were riding in the car one day, right? You and your mom were talking and uh, they got into a pretty serious conversation. If I remember correctly, I'll pulled over, right? And, and had a conversation to finish this, this whole thing about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to be baptized. And uh, for Dylan, it's very real. And you know, parents ask me, what should I do? My child is young and they're asking about baptism. Here's what I've told the parents that, of Dylan's parents, uh, Roseanne and Dave, but also I've told other parents. You know at home whether this is sincere or not, whether they have a sincere desire to follow Jesus. If you sense a change in their life and they are asking spiritual questions, and it continues. I don't mean it's a one and done, but it's genuine. It continues. And it's like almost relentless, like they won't let up. And if it seems genuine and you start to notice even their behavior changing, I say it's time to act. It's time to encourage that. Dylan, how old are you? He's nine. I think that's a great age. And from what I see and what I heard in a conversation with him and what I hear from his parents, this is real. So I want to encourage that. Amen? Dylan is going to grow up and be a teenager and a young man. And he's going to grow and learn more. Amen? Because that's what we do. He'll become more of a spiritual adult one day. But I'm going to encourage activity from God when it starts happening. Amen? Amen. So Dylan, you ready for this? All right, let's go. And family is going to come stand up here as well. So family, y'all come on. They got a big family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'm just gonna get all ready for this. Good. All right. Come on, Dylan. You got it. Dude. Yeah, you're fine. Have a seat. Yeah, put your legs out going that way. Perfect. Now, yeah, that's perfect. Sit right there. Yeah. Take a look right here at all family. Isn't that awesome? See them? Yeah. So Dylan is the youngest of some brothers in a family um, who trusted the Lord as well. And Dylan's next in line of young men of faith 
that this family is raising up to serve the Lord, and I'm grateful. It's a heritage of faith that's being passed down, and I'm grateful for that. So Dylan, I'm excited for what God is doing in you, for Jesus saving you. He has a purpose for your life. He's restoring all things, and I'm grateful that he restored it in you while you were young, before you walked into a bunch of stuff like the rest of us do. Amen? Yeah. So Dylan, I baptize you now as my brother in Christ. You're buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in the newness of life.